0: This is the New England Journal of Medicine COVID-19 update for September 8th, 2021. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the Journal, and I'm talking with Eric Rubin, Editor-in-Chief, and Lindsay Baden, Deputy Editor. Eric and Lindsay, last week we talked about how things might be changing now that the Delta variant has become the dominant virus in, in much of the world. We learned that vaccination might not protect against infection as well now that Delta is dominant. However, two pieces of important information were missing. How well does vaccination protect against severe disease? And can vaccination prevent the transmission of infection? Today we're publishing research articles that address both of these issues. Both studies date from before the arrival of Delta or at least the prevalence of Delta, but they do give us some idea of how well vaccines that are relatively good matches to circulating virus can perform. The first study used real-world data to measure the effectiveness of vaccination in preventing healthcare visits. So how was that assessed?
1: This study was performed in seven U.S. centers that included hospitalization and ICU data from 187 hospitals, 197 emergency departments, and 70 urgent care clinics. The investigators looked at all the positive molecular assays performed on patients presenting to these centers and associated them with vaccination status as determined by either state or electronic health records. They also measured local transmission rates to get an idea of how much viral transmission was going on over any seven-day period.
0: And then what did the researchers find? They included more than 29,000
1: hospitalizations and 16,000 encounters in either emergency departments or urgent care clinics. 11% 11% of patients who were hospitalized, and 15% of outpatients had positive tests for COVID-19. Altogether, completing vaccination with either of the two mRNA vaccines was approximately 89% effective at preventing hospitalization, and 91% effective at preventing a visit to the ED or urgent care clinic. These efficacy estimates held up quite well across different age groups and different ethnic groups. The number of people who received the single-dose 26 covid 2s vaccine, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, was much smaller, but the researchers were able to estimate a vaccine efficacy of 70% or more for protection against hospitalization and outpatient visits. These numbers are pretty similar to others we've been seeing, at least as of late May when the study was concluded. Protection against disease severe enough to require hospitalization or present to an ED or urgent care clinic was pretty much identical to that seen under the ideal conditions of the original randomized controlled trials. So at least for the viruses circulating at that time, the vaccines were very highly effective.
2: Eric, I think that what this work sort of highlights are several very important concepts. First, how do we understand efficacy through time? This has several implicit variables. The virus is changing the variants of interest, variants of concern emerge, in part in reflection to the immunologic pressure of natural immunity as well as vaccine immunity. There's time from vaccination, which may have an impact on the quality and durability of the immune response. There's community infection rates and infection force that may also influence how we think vaccines work. But on top of this, which this work really highlights, is how we think about endpoints of interest. Are we most interested in preventing severe disease and death, which probably is one of the most, if not the most important endpoint of interest. But there's also clinical illness, asymptomatic infection, transmission. And so all of these are different parameters of import. And what these investigators are helping us see through routine collected data across our health centers are how vaccines perform over time for the most severe outcomes, which is incredibly important, but leaves open many other questions of interest.
1: Lindsay, we're gonna be talking more about transmission in a moment, but one thing that I'd like to focus on from what you were saying is the idea of what our goalposts are. And the truth is those goalposts have been moving. Before we had a vaccine, we hoped that it would have any efficacy against anything, honestly. When the vaccines appeared and they were very highly efficacious, I think that everyone was focusing on disease elimination through elimination of infection. With Delta, it's clear that that may not be possible, at least given the tools we have right now. Um, And so again, the goalposts have moved and the prevention of severe disease, I think is a much more important goal at this point uh, than protection against infection. If we could get that, it would be great, but it seems like we don't have that at this point.
2: So Eric, I mean, it's changing goalposts. I would argue it's how do we think about what's important given the kinds of data we have access to? And when we do a prospective RCT with randomization and a double-blind design, we're able to minimize many biases, but we're only able to answer very pointed questions given the significant constraints on the design to minimize bias. When we look at real-world data, it's incredibly attractive because it can be very large, it's real world, it's what's going on around us, but it's much more challenging because the nature of the data available are not as even, or not as quality controlled, and there are many biases, uh, implicit and explicit. Those who are vaccinated early are not the same as those who are vaccinated later. It is hard to control for this. It is terrific to see, These investigators and our public health community struggling with these questions to bring data together to provide us insight on how well these vaccines work through time, trying to control for some of these baseline or implicit variables. Using endpoints that are cleaner, such as hospitalization and death, one can track those data a lot more easily than Asymptomatic acquisition or transmission, because there are not routine systems to detect this in our routine public health uh, system or care process. So I look at these types of data and these types of studies as incredibly valuable, but complex to understand and appreciate how investigators try to control for these potential biases and
0: noise. A question that's arisen throughout the COVID 19 outbreak has been whether or not the vaccine not only prevents disease, but at an individual level, helps block transmission. In other words, is a vaccinated person with a breakthrough infection any less likely to transmit disease to another person than an unvaccinated person might be? It's a difficult question to approach, but a group of investigators in Scotland did that in a piece we published today. How did they go about figuring it out?
1: This group took advantage of really excellent databases in Scotland that include healthcare records of virtually every individual throughout the National Health Service and additional databases that could identify healthcare workers and their household members who did not themselves work in the healthcare field. Altogether, this enabled them to identify more than 144,000 healthcare workers and more than 194,000 household contacts. During that time period, which extended from March to November of 2020, almost 80% of healthcare workers received at least one dose of vaccine. Because the UK extended the period between the two doses of vaccine, only about a quarter of the workers had received two doses of vaccine within the study period. During this time, the workers received either BNT162b2, the Pfizer vaccine, or Chadox1, the AstraZeneca vaccine, Although they present the data for how many workers received each, they don't break down the results by vaccine type. So we don't know the significance of each type. The investigators followed all of the individuals for the development of COVID-19 as defined by a positive PCR test and for hospitalization due to COVID-19. Since there was no widespread systematic testing, the vast majority of these tests were likely in symptomatic individuals. Workers moved from the unvaccinated to the vaccinated category as they received vaccine. this made for somewhat complex analysis. So the researchers used several models to adjust for a variety of covariates. In fact, all the models produced virtually identical results.
2: So Eric, I think that this is another example of clinicians and public health colleagues utilizing data collected for clinical and public health reasons to make inference about the biology of transmission and vaccine effect, and using this in relation to hospitalization data. Direct assessment of individuals in the home, obviously, is not done routinely, so they're making inference based upon household members' illness. I think it's a terrific example of how do we infer vaccine activity in tight communities like the household through hospitalizations and clinical encounters of household members. Though the data have many weaknesses, the overall approach is clever and utilizes clinical and public health data in a way that allow us to understand a little bit more about transmission dynamics in the setting of vaccine rollout.
1: I will point out that We do have some large healthcare databases in the US and um, they're often used for research, but they're quite a bit more limited than the kinds of things we're talking about now. And it is striking that a lot of these real world effectiveness data uh, that we've been seeing are coming from countries that have a national health service um, and other integrated uh, databases, uh, which aren't present in the US. And I think that as we go forward in this outbreak, we're going to continue to see the most complete and most persuasive data from countries like Israel and Qatar, both of which have vaccinated a number of people and have either a national health record or have large integrated health care systems care for a large percentage of the population.
0: What did these researchers in Scotland find?
1: They presented two sets of data. Because the majority of participants only received a single dose of vaccine, the largest numbers and most reliable data come from this group. One dose of vaccine had about 50% efficacy in preventing disease and almost 85% efficacy in preventing hospitalizations in the vaccine recipients themselves. How well did that translate into household context? Well, it turns out they were also protected, though less well, with about 20 to 30% protection against infection. All of these numbers improved significantly after a second dose of vaccine in healthcare workers, which resulted in about 90% protection in the recipients. For household contacts who were unvaccinated, the case rate fell by about half, though there was somewhat less of an impact on hospitalizations. Thus, the authors conclude that vaccination of one person in a household offers modest protection to others. Of course, there are several caveats. Although the researchers confined their analysis to infections that occurred close together in time in a household, it might be difficult to determine the direction of transmission if cases occurred very close together. And without systematic screening, it seems likely that known contacts might be more likely to get tested than those without a known exposure. Finally, although the household might be the major site of transmission for some people, many were exposed outside of their homes.
2: Eric, you point out many of the challenges with these types of data and an additional concern is always the healthy person effect which is those who choose to be vaccinated may be different than others Um, however the way this healthcare system is organized the fact that these are healthcare workers that vaccine was being rolled out rapidly across uh, these institutions very likely this does represent what may go on in a household. And it's very encouraging that there are both direct benefits to those being vaccinated, as well as to those around them in the household. Using uh, hospitalization and severe illness as an important marker, these data are very encouraging that by vaccinating individuals, their direct community also benefits. And how to amplify this message is important so that individuals are aware that not only is it important for me to protect myself, but I can also protect my family and those around me through vaccination. Despite the weaknesses of the data, I think the data are fairly compelling that there are benefits in this circumstance through individual vaccination for those around them.
1: Just to be clear, of course, vaccination of one household member isn't a substitute for getting everyone vaccinated. Uh, Nevertheless, as we know, there are some individuals who can't be vaccinated right now. That means children. And it's likely that vaccination of adults in a household does offer some protection to children to the extent that their major contacts are within the household.
0: So given all the challenges that that you described, how generalizable are the observations from this study?
1: Well, I think the news is encouraging, and the study was very well done. Though, of course, it's limited to the specifics in this group. Remember that the mix of vaccines being used is different in different places. For example, the AstraZeneca vaccine, the Chadox 1 vaccine, isn't used at all in the U.S., where the majority of people have gotten one of the two mRNA vaccines. And, of course, this trial was done before the appearance of the Delta variant, as you mentioned right at the top, Steve. And the Delta variant does appear to more easily infect vaccinated individuals so the answer is likely to change over time as the epidemic changes
2: so steve as we try to figure out how to generalize to our communities eric sort of alluded to before that we should be encouraging everyone to be vaccinated but there are those who cannot be or fail to respond and there are also those beyond the household now this is you know, extending beyond what was directly studied. But if one understands the biology and the principles that are illuminated through this work, which is vaccinating an individual may lead to less transmission to those around them, especially in the unvaccinated. Does this extend beyond the household and in our community interactions, be it going back to school, to the office, to houses of worship, to the supermarket, how we think about the biology here and the likelihood that this may have salutary benefits in these other directions. It's beyond what was directly studied, but it does logically flow from these observations. On top of this, as Eric, you've already raised, it is difficult to fully appreciate the meaning of this with different vaccine regimens, different vaccine intervals, heterologous regimens, evolution of the virus itself with emergence of variants of concern, and different other aspects of communities around the world. But overall, the fundamental principle of protecting the individual and those around them is probably true and probably generalizable without us easily assessing the exact point estimate of benefit.
1: That being said, Lindsay, I want to go back to how the situation changes over time. We keep on looking at these snapshots and admittedly, they're very good. And studies like this are very cleverly designed and well done. And yet the biology is changing over time. So I think that these help in a very general sense, guide us toward where we want to be, but it's difficult to apply any of the specifics to the time we're in right now. So it's a learning process. And I think everyone has to be comfortable with the fact, though, that while we're learning from studies that were done even a relatively short time ago, like these, we are going to be having to adapt constantly to the situation
2: on the ground. Eric, I'll agree that the biology is changing, but I'm not sure the Principles are, you know. And I think about uh, when I drove into work today, and I wore a seat belt and have an airbag in my car. If I were to get into an accident, it's different than the kind of accident I would have had five years ago, given the cars on the road and other traffic patterns. And I can't exactly predict how the seat belt or the airbag will protect me, but fundamentally, they are a good thing and provide protection. And so I think at least what we know today, the vaccines provide meaningful protection. We don't know exactly all of the details of the protection in the face of the virus changing and variants of concern emerging, but all of the data continue to point in the same direction that they provide meaningful protection. And it looks like meaningful protection to others, not just to the individual, how much, and how it may vary across circumstance, we need to study and understand. But I think those principles, those generalizable concepts, continue to hold with what we know today.
1: I don't disagree, Lindsay. The numbers change, and the numbers do mean something. They have importance for how we react and what policies we set. But of course, I will leave on an optimistic note, after being sort of a downer with how things are changing, which is that we see more evidence now that the vaccines are working. They work in real world situations. They even have indirect effects as shown by the transmission study that are useful. Those principles continue to be true today. Even if there's a variant out there that infects more easily, vaccines still have a gigantic benefit. And I think it's important to keep that in mind while we are getting news that's not quite as good as it was a few months ago.
0: Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Lindsay.